Do you know how to find the right oil for your car? Now you can find out quickly and easily online, thanks to Castrol's Rego to Oil tool. Simply type in your Rego, select your state, and within seconds you'll know the best Castrol products to unlock the edge of performance in your car. So what's your car best suited to? Just search Rego, the number two, and oil, and find out. A Motorsport Podcast Network production. Hey everybody, Aaron Noonan here. Great to have you with me again. It is another edition of the V8 Sleuth Podcast powered by Repco. We are off and rolling for 2022. My guest on the pod this week is none other than Brad Jones from Brad Jones Racing, funnily enough. I took a little drive up the Hume Highway from Melbourne to Albury, of course, that is the longtime home of Bradley, to sit down with him and talk about his amazing time in motorsport. Now, in fact, there's so much to talk about We've had to split it into two parts. So the first part is going live today as uh, this one's launched. Uh, Part two will be launched a week later. So if you've just tuned in and they've already been published, lucky you. You haven't had to wait. Go to part two at the end of part one. If you're listening as we've released this one, you're going to have to wait a little while. But I promise you it's worth the wait. On this first part, we talk about the earlier days of Brad's career. We talk about his time in Brian Thompson and Peter Fowler's Mercedes uh, sports sedan, that amazing car of the 80s. The time that he had with the Mitsubishi Starians in production car racing and Group A touring car racing. And then lots of chat about his time as the king of the Thunderdome. Those amazing years with Oscar and NASCAR racing at Calder Park and, of course, some of the other tracks that hosted it over the years. So here we go. Buckle up. It's time to start part one of Brad Jones on the V8 Sleuth podcast powered by Repco. Brad Jones, we've been asked to have you on our podcast for a very long time. We are here. Thank you for having us at Brad Jones Racing. It's great to be here. Thanks, Noons. Yeah, it's, um, uh, you know, there's nothing like a bit of a, a trip down memory lane. And so um, I haven't done one of these for a while, so uh, I'm really looking forward to it. You're trying to look across at my notebook to see what the questions are, aren't you? No, I'm ready for you anyway. No, 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 no. You're always Quite trying to keep historian, ahead. I you am. are trying to keep ahead of the curve. That's what you're trying to do. Uh, first of all, it's a very important topic that I wanted to hit you right between the eyes with. Were you accurately depicted in Neil Crompton's recently released book? Well, I know the bloke that wrote it. And, I don't uh, know him. Yeah, N. Crompton. It was <laughs> N. Crompton. Um, I, I read it and, and it was it's quite interesting. I thought it was a good read. And, and the chapter on me obviously was the first thing that I went to. Macaulay actually bought the book. and um, we So were driving- you didn't buy one. You, you had to be given one. I just read his until mine turned up. Oh, all right. The free one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so I um, I grabbed Macca and I the book off Macca and said, "Have you read the chapter about me yet?" And he went, "No, I'm not that far into the book." I'm like, "Wouldn't you read that first? I'm your father." And he goes, "No, I'll get to it." So I'm like, "Right." So I, I went to it, and you know, honestly, I found it um, like all good books. Um, it was it was um, it, it made me smile and laugh, and then you know, the bit about Colin Neal's father and. And my dad really touched a spot for me, made me quite emotional. And so after I read the chapter, I think I sent him a text, Neil, and said, um, hey, just read the chapter on me, like all good books that made me laugh and cry. And and uh, But I was really surpri- surprised at how short the chapter was. And uh, he said the other 12 pages on the cutting room floor that put the editor to sleep. 
I could so, tell you why, because we would have got sued for telling some of the real stories, I'm sure. <laughs> and you know exactly that's true. You know exactly yeah, that's true. Yeah, I know all the bodies hidden. Yeah. So, yes. um, but no, I, I thought it was good and it was, you know, I was very, you know, Neil and I have been friends for such a long time. And and funnily enough, uh, I was in Ballarat at the end of last year, just, you know, after the book came out and um, I dropped around and seen Neil's mum. And and uh, I didn't sort of really think about it too much, but because of COVID, I don't think she'd had a guest there for months. Yeah, sure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and so you know, I went around, knocked on the door, and I went, "Hi, Mrs. C." You know, she's, "Oh my God!" You know, <laughs> and I don't think she was that keen on me leaving. Yeah. So <laughs> so it was really nice to see her, and she was so proud of Neil and the book, and and um, you know, it's it's um, you know, Cromie's done some amazing things in his life, and fortunately for me, I've been you know part of most of it or or around or in contact with him so we've we've had a you know an amazing life through motorsport together you can square him up when we do the brad jones book down the track i'm sure anyone, there's a couple to get yeah there. i don't think anyone buy oh, that. come on now come on now there's plenty to be done there's plenty to be done uh there's so many things to talk about i'll try to race <coughs> through as many as cover off as much ground as we kind of can we've got a bunch of questions from our, our readers um and our followers we put the call out to them for questions and i think there's a few loaded ones there that we might have to just dance around the tulips between <laughs> because i think there's some people who know some more things than they're letting on with their questions yeah um one of the things I wanted to ask you about, though, I was wandering around the, the workshop here. You've got some great photos on the wall of various cars and things. There's you back in your dirt bike racing days. There's, um, But what caught my eye early before we turned the microphones on, the Brian Thompson Mercedes that he and Peter Fowler had, the sports sedan thing, which um, is a car that a few people have asked us about over the journey. I've sort of stacked that up because you raced that for, for a time. Yeah, yeah. Um, how I ended up in that was um, uh, I started racing Formula Ford and Chris Davison was was like my mentor and he organized a sponsorship and I bought the Formula Ford. It was a L1002 and Wally Story he used to drive it before me. That's ironic given the link of yeah, later on. The, yeah, the Wally ended up here and then, um, you know, I did one race in I think and, and my, my second race I turned up at the AGP in 1980, qualified on pole, uh, broke lap record and won the race and, and then they changed the tyres the following year which – and now I'm a little older and I understand how things work, obviously the car's not going to operate the same. And so it was quite a trying time to start my career. And then I had a, an accident at, at Service Paradise and hit some oil and end up in the fence. But I also had a drive of, you know, Brian Thompson was a friend of my dad's. Peter Fowler was a friend of the family as well, my dad and but my whole family and and Tomo always stayed with my my dad when he was here and Pete used to build the engines in my Formula Ford and come to the races with me sometimes and so I had a very strong connection to those guys in those days and so um, I ended up at Calder when they, I didn't really understand completely that they were they were looking for someone to drive the car and and um, so John Bow had stepped out of it. And, um, you know, he reminds me regularly, he put my name forward. <laughs> and, and Jim Richards was there and Jimmy had a drive of the car and I had a drive of the car and I ended up with the seat. He, I think Jim was just testing it for them. So, so they were, I guess, trying to work out whether I could get the job done. But it was a, you know, great opportunity for me and, and I drove it in a couple of different uh, guises. You know, I drove it when it had a 350 Chev in it, when it had the quad cam heads on it and, and also when it was a, a twin turbo and um, I also raced it when the World Sports Cars came here at Sandown. So it was a, um, uh interesting thing to drive. 
it had a, a folded aluminium seat and and uh, and you sat off center in a little bit so so the steering wheel wasn't actually parallel with you the pedals and so so um and it's, the engine was right beside you this, so. is, this is sounding like a chiropractor's dream client <laughs> and it was but it but it was pretty fast you know we we uh you know kevin barlett who ended up being uh, you know a big part of my racing career i raced against him and he had the, the pantera and we had some really good dices when tomo was going for the championship one year and uh, yeah, so so you know, an interesting uh, uh, side story to that is, I'm I'm regularly in contact with Peter Fowler, and and I don't know if you know or not, but they're building the Volkswagen back up again. And so you know, he sends me all the photos, and we talk very regularly. And and you know, I think that's a fantastic project. That was a hero car for me when I was a kid, and and so was Tomo. You know, so to have something to do with all those guys was was amazing. You know. I'm sure some of this stuff I'll talk about my dad, but my dad was a president of the car club here in Albury for 16 years and he was a polio victim when he was a child and so um, he he uh, but was in denial so he walked on crutches but but you know he used to buy manual cars and so he would get um, his best friend Jack and later my brother to put a, um, a vacuum uh, off a caravan on it so it would have a clutch like a motorbike so he could change a manual gear but with a hand clutch like Norm Beachy had in the Monaro yeah. probably where Norm got the idea <laughs> and and then he had a push down throttle and a push in brake and so when you were in with my dad and he had like Cooper S's and GT Cortinas and you know when I was a little tacker and Kim was a little tacker and you know he'd blip the throttle and then give it a down change and you know his hands would be going 100 miles an hour because he's not using his feet and he'd go and sprint events out in the human wheel. So, so Kim and I, you know, we were sort of hooked into that. But on a Saturday night when they had the races at the human wheel, we would have a barbecue at our house. So my dad would go over and host a TV show at AMV4, the local television station. They do a 30 minute or an hour program where dad would stand there on crutches and interview Skinny Manton, Jim McEwen, Norm Beachy, push those cars out and then Bob Minogue would come in with an open wheel or and, and, you know, Brian Sampson or, you know, all these guys. And then after that, they'd all come back to our place and have a barbecue. So you'd have Bob Jane, his brother, Brian Thompson, Lacus Medicus, you know, depends on who was racing at the human wheel at the time. Just hanging out, having a sausage. Yeah, it yeah. was. It was it Which was, is surreal if you think of it ever current day. You'd think of the stars of supercars rocking up to your place for a barbecue because your dad's in, you know, as a kid that's the same equivalent. Yeah, really. if they got stars too drunk, the they slept on the floor. <laughs> and and so for me, you know, like when the Formula 2 cars came, Lefo was there and Bob Minogue and all these guys who, you know, so I had a, you know, and Kim, we, we had an amazing upbringing and opportunity and and those sort of things I look back on now and and uh go wow you know we were we were so lucky um you know it's like sitting in a room with half a dozen supercar drivers while having a few beers and telling stories that's really what it was like around a race meeting we could probably go into some of those stories but we probably won't go into some of the stories I've been asked a million questions in our call out of questions I mean I've always got to strip it back because they always end up being the same questions the Starion gets a regular run. People want to know, was the Starion a shitbox or just misunderstood? Which one, the Group A car or the production car? Well, I guess both. Uh, well, as a production car, it was a very fast car. You know, it was, you know, won a number of championships with that and so did Peter Fitzgerald and everyone sort of at one stage. It was stage the car, wasn't had, it? Yeah, yeah. Had, a, had a production car 
Um, the race car, that's a different kettle of fish. That was built by the Murphy brothers, or the one I drove was built by the Murphy brothers. So KB built the first one and he had the Rallyard deal and then it migrated over to Adelaide where they took it a bit more in-house and a guy called John Grant ran the program and and Bob and John had been, you know, in Formula 1 with Surtees and and um, IndyCar with, with, I think they both worked on Alan to Junior's car and, and so they were looking to come back to Australia and they build these cars and and that you know it, it was a, it was a pretty fast car um, it didn't have the you know the development put into it probably that a lot of other cars did you know they were on and off again a little bit but um you know it was an important part of my life with, without Mitsubishi I'd, I'd lost my way so after I finished driving Tomo's um, sports sedan um, I, I really, I was out of work and I didn't have a chance and I had a panel shop and my dad worked for me at the time and that was the end of my career and, and uh, he rang a guy, I did, these won't all be stories about my dad by the way, um, but he rang a guy called Alan Horsley and he used to run Oran Park and, and he was also the secretary of the Aubrey Industry Car Club. Alan Horsley went on to work at Mazda and run, you know, their, their super um, – um, the 12 hour program, 12 and hour program. Moffat and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, Moffat. He was so, you know, really well known, very smart guy. And so dad rang him and said, Look, Alan, do you have you got any ideas um, that how I could start Bradley's career again? And he said, Well, there's this guy, Peter Fitzgerald, and we got this pro am happening in Oran Park. Um, he's he's nominated Peter Hopwood as his amateur driver. He's not an amateur. <laughs> so uh, he might be something. And they raced it. By the way, they raced at Emory Park this weekend, so he should be driving back through Aubrey today. It was Monday. So my dad rang all the service stations and the tyre places along the highway because it went through Aubrey at that stage, the highway, and said, look, when you see a Bedford truck with the pale colour staring on the back of it, ring me. So, so, of course, someone rang. They saw saw Fitzy and so my dad got out of his chair and his crutches, went out. He had a Valiant station wagon in those days, jumped in the wagon, didn't tell me what was going on and ran Fitzy off the road <laughs> Down, down <laughs> near near Connell, Connell checkpoint. Said, Woo! Stop! Pulled him over, and then when he got out of the car, he said to him, um, "Look, I don't know if you know who I am." He said, "Yeah, I know who you are. You're Phil Jones." He said, "I used to race race the human wheel and Porsches and things." Yeah, great. He said, "My son Bradley, he he." Uh, so you are you driver. with him at the time? No, no. He, right. he, I was at work rubbing a car down. I'm a spray painter. <laughs> so um, he said, "Look, my son Bradley, you know, we're looking for a driver here that you, you can't use." Peter Hobwood. Who says? He said, well, you know, let's see how that goes. But anyway, they struck a deal. So Fitzy said, yeah, I'd be happy to use Brad um, if if I can't use Hoppy. And, um, you know, it costs $5,000. And my dad went, great, shook hands and came back to work so excited and said to me, hey, look, I, you know, I think you got your drive. All we got to do is find $5,000. And, and, you know, in those days, honestly. That's a lot of wedge. We didn't have anything. I'm like, you know, I couldn't pay wages. So I'm like, I've gone from a massive uh, adrenaline rush of excitement to uh, now I'm, I had all the wind knocked out of me. I went, Dad, we've, we've not got $5,000. We don't have $50 to spend on motorsport. He goes, no, nah, leave it to me. So what he did was he went to the local radio station and he got $2,500 worth of airtime off them and told me put a sticker on the car and then he sold that airtime. He's a salesman. And then he went and put a little consortium of local business people together to get the other two and a half thousand, and I'm in. And so Fitzy and I went went to Sydney and did that race, and um, 
uh, I can't remember where we qualified. Fitzy qualified third or fourth or something. And anyway, we, we ran around and and uh, at one point I came up next to Kevin Bartlett. And, of course, you know, I've got the full face helmet with the balaclava with the little tiny holes in it. And he's got an open face helmet on and we're going down the braking area and I'm passing him and he's blocking me. He's going to the inside. And so they're pretty slow in the braking area production cars. And so I've looked across at him. He's got this filthy look on his face. And uh, I winked at him and he burst out laughing and then we jumped on the brakes and I outbraked him and ran the outside and disappeared. <laughs> so anyway, we won. So, so after the race, you know, we're getting the sash and got the presentation and KB came up to find me. He goes, hey, you. And I went, oh, hello. And he goes, um, you probably thought that was pretty funny, did you? I said, well, you laughed, <laughs> which made him laugh again. He goes, you're Phil's kid, aren't you? And I said, yeah, that's right. He goes, eh, how many production car races are you doing? I said, well, just this one at the moment. He said, eh, keep in touch. And then he wandered off. And, and honestly, you know, he was the key to the Mitsubishi deal for me. Mm. So he made a big difference and he did the introductions and I got to test the car and then I got to race in Japan and that all started with – with really Kevin and him taking a bit of a shine to me and being real helpful and it's something I'll never forget. So Kev was great. Uh, cars were good on occasions but, but you know, honestly, then the Sierra came out and that was better than anything. Yeah. There's two threads that I pick up straight away on that. You talk about your dad and doing the deal and running Fitzy off the road. You're doing the same stuff today. This is how you do motor racing, and a lot of people don't get it. They think someone will give me money, I'll put a sticker on a car, and I'll go it race is and not win. Like that. You are the proof of it. This place that we're sitting in is proof of what you and Kim have done over the years. You got to find a way. You, your dad found the way to drive the car when he wasn't in the position to drive it like everybody else. You didn't have the money, you didn't have the deal, but you found a way, and that's where you know. And I laugh with Crompton all the time. We laughed about it writing the book because. It's the common thread throughout it all of wheeling and dealing and trying to find a way and coming up with sometimes crazy harebrained ideas and sometimes some brilliant ones to make it happen. And a lot of people don't quite get that if you really want to do this, whether you're steering it or owning it or running it or preparing it or building it, you've got to do that. That's how it is. You do. And, and you know, while Crompton would sometimes describe me as Arthur Daly, <laughs> um, but you need to deliver on your promises. Yeah. And I think that's something that Kim and I have always tried hard to do. And 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 then as time's gone by and now it's it's me here, you know, I try really, really hard to make sure that if I tell you X, then X is what we get. And and um yeah, but it's just, you know, it's what you have to do. I you know, I, I sometimes come here and wander through the place and and think about how we started with a, you know, Pardon me, a car, under a carport next to Kim's house um, with a trolley jack and a couple of jack stands and a, and a production car that we, you know, we, we had on high purchase <laughs> and, um, and used to have to take the number plates off. So, so the finance company didn't see we were, you know, we were, we were racing, our, you know, the road car that we had on finance because <laughs> there's no insurance on a racetrack. I, I hope they weren't watching the TV coverage. Well... Didn't have any number plates on it, but, <laughs> but yeah, and it was always really, you know, it's 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 a tough game, and you know, my dad was a very good salesman, and and fortunately, uh, I'd like to hope that a little bit of that has rubbed off on on Kim and I, and and uh, yeah, I mean, it's you know, there was never ever a plan to build a big race team. The plan was always to go racing, and and 
um, you know, this was just a uh, what happened. This is what it morphed into. Everything evolves. There's no grand plan. It's just go with the first thing in front of you, and then you never know where you end up. Well, it's always Kim and I, you know, and and um, when he decided to stop being part of BJR and and you know we put out press release, um, he he wrote a little bit about you know what he felt um, over the years, you know, you know the things that 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 meant a lot to him. And and uh, and then I I did the same thing and it was, it was interesting. I mean the the things that meant the most to us both are, are not aligned at all. Mm. But, but I'm not shocked by that at all. Yeah, well we're very different people. Yeah, exactly. Um, but the thing that I I said at the time was um, early on in our careers it was just Kim and I against the world, and uh, you know more times than not we we won. And, and uh, you know, it was amazing to be able to go through that experience with him um, being my brother and, and take everyone on that we did and more times than not beat them and the commitment and the drive and the things we had to do and, you know, how we lived and, and racing was our whole life. You know, it was, it, you know, I look back so fondly on those times um, and that really was the first building block to end up where we are today. What's the most desperate thing you guys did to go car racing? I guess there's different perception levels of what's desperate and what's not. You're laughing and looking away straight away, so that means there's an instant answer to this. Well, I mean, there's probably stuff I can't say, but, um, you know, you, you... Statute of limitations, I think you sweep with a lot of stuff. <laughs> well, I mean, we've just gone the high purchase company with the Starion, so... <laughs> well, I mean, there's... there's oh, look, we, we did crazy stuff. I remember... Um, when we had the production car, I didn't want to pay for. Well, we I I didn't want to pay for the registration on the car anymore. I thought it was a waste of a thousand bucks, so I went over and took a picture of a um, trade plate at a local dealership, and then I got a sign writer to make it for me so I could stick it in the window of the car. So so when we had to run the car in, um, I just put the trade plate in the window, <laughs> and away I go. You know, there's stuff like that 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 you know you just you know just just crazy, crazy, crazy stuff, you know. Yeah. I mean, that's probably <laughs> a it. tame, tame. That's a tame one. wine, watered down one yeah. compared to, I'm sure, some of the stuff that you uh, got up to or I, created. I, uh, I can remember I've always felt toll were perfect as sponsors for us. As in toll uh, transport? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, when they were sponsoring Traddy and we went in and met with Paul Little and, and I felt like we made a little bit of a connection and he told me a story about how he felt that he was the right guy to cart Coca-Cola around the country and so he wouldn't take no for an answer and so I and I know Dean Wills who used to be the the chairman he's interested in motorsport and so that was you know something we had in common and and so he told me this story about how he chased him and chased him and chased him and finally they they changed over to Toll and he did a m- amazing job and 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 they came back to him and said wow you know you were right and so I felt like the pitch went pretty good and then he said no and so I called him so often I think he probably um, was ready to report me as a stalker <laughs> and he's like no and I went yeah you say no but you mean yes <laughs> and so I'm just using your theory yeah I don't think he changed his phone number but he sent me a pretty blunt text message or <laughs> yeah or fax or something it was in those days so yeah I mean look if I stopped and thought about it some of the stuff, you know, it's just uh, 
it's just crazy living in cars and you know. Passion will do amazing things to people to True. follow the passion. Did the Thunderdome, I mean, Thunderdome stuff is really revered and loved by the punters who love to talk all that stuff because it's not going anymore and it's, it's there but not there like it was. Was Oscar particularly the making of BJR? Uh, not really. I mean, I feel like um, I raced in Japan and I was Brock's teammate and I was you know, about to step into HRT as a co-driver. So, so um, my career had, had gone along but I felt like BJR had established itself as, as the best um, production car team. Um, it was probably more the next step in my mind. Mm. And so, so, you know, same old story. We, we looked around for something to do. We were very driven by income. It was all Kim did for a living where I could earn money driving other people's stuff. So we needed to find either sponsors or series. I mean, in those days, you win a race paid, you know, 75 bucks. Mm. So, so um, that was, you know, didn't pay for a lot of food. So uh, we looked at Oscar and we knew nothing about oval track racing at all, like just nothing. But did you just look at the dollar number to win? Yeah. And that's what got you in? Well, and then we found a car. So we looked at the prize money and honestly uh, it was it was pretty good, I think, in those days. It paid $9,000 to win a, a, an Oscar race, I think. And this uh, is late 80s, early yeah. 90s. Sort of and thing, so yeah. we went and bought a, a car and – it had been sort of half made and, you know, I, I, by then Crompton was driving for Brock and I had a relationship with him. Brock used to love Neil and I because, you know, we were a bit crazy and it made him feel young, I reckon. And so <laughs> so um, when we built that car, we came home, we painted it down in my panel shop and we're trying to build it for the first race, which was a December race. And, and um, um, I think I was going to drive for Brock the following year. And so... I asked him if we could go down there and finish building the car because Arch McMurray was doing our engines. And we were down in Birdie Street, you know, worked all day, all night, all day, all night, trying to finish this thing off. But it was an automatic car. And so it had the wrong bell housing and like everything we touched. And fortunately, because Brock had so much Commodore stuff. Because he was around. BMW by then. He so was BMW. Well, it wasn't even the race stuff. It was, yeah, just you, you know, whatever's I, around. Yeah. You go through. Uh, they had so much stuff, like B-cast heads for engines. Trying to find one of those was very difficult. The minute I pulled into that place, I looked and they had five or six pallets of them <laughs> in the weather out of the back. Oh, get I'm them like, in. What's going on here? And and the whole place was like that because, you know, the jam connection. So we could finally find stuff and tell Brock what was going on. I mean, he didn't give a shit, you know. It was mm. like, yeah, yeah, just grab what Whatever. you need. And, and – um, uh, I got a really good story about him and his brother. But so, so because I used to race against Phil, you mm. know, with the Oscar, and so we got it, got everything, and so we missed all the practice at our first event. So the first time I went on the track, I think was in qualifying, and and, and this is in a lurid like lime green, yeah, lime green. not the red that everyone got yeah. to know you in after. No, that. no, because green was my favourite colour, and so that was the colour of my first Formula Ford when I got it. So yeah, we so we painted green, and and to give you an idea how little we knew. Um, when we came in during the race, so so uh, the first time I went out, I was qualifying and you know qualified badly, and I was in the second group, and then we had another practice, I think, and then I was the fastest in my group, which meant I started sixteenth or something. If there was thirty-two cars, whatever it was, mm. I can't really remember. 
And then so for the first pit stop, and it locked the rear brakes, I spun the thing a couple of times. and um, But we didn't know you had to jack the car up on the side. And so we've slid into our first pit stop and our jack man, Colin Tudridge, slid the jack under the front, jack the front up, and they've done the two front wheels and then he's raced around the back and put it under the diff, jacked the back up. I'm sure Steve Betts and, you know, the people up in race control like <laughs> staring out the window like, what is going on here? And so they came down and ripped into – or not ripped into us, but went, hey, don't ever do a pit stop like that again. So we just, you know, and then we turned up – after a bit of testing and a bit of work and, and um, you know, Bob Jane uh, organised some sponsorship between he and Alan Mance and we won the next race and the next race. And the next race. Yeah. 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 We get the drift. We get the drift. But the bonus disappeared, didn't it? There, yeah, wasn't there well, a big cash there was bonus a of, to win three yeah, in a row and then right. they changed paid, the rules on you? Paid 25 grand. And so they said um, – so, so you know, we didn't look at that at the start, but of course, fine print. We won the first, we won the, our our race after Christmas, and we run the next. So they were the last two races in the year, and we won them both. So I'm like, woohoo! You know, first win race one next more, season. Yeah, boom. Um, but then they came out and said it's three on the trot in a season. I'm like, well, it doesn't actually say that on the regs. So then we won the next race. So we should have got our 25. Then we won the next race. Then they withdrew the bonus. <laughs> Not that you're bitter about it or, no, or anything. Still talking I've about it 30 some, years on already. But, but uh, what, just getting back to Brock. Uh, so Phil Brock um, raced an Oscar. And so so we were out at the track and Brock was there and so was Phil. And his car, while we were rebuilding ours, sat outside Brock's workshop on the trailer. And then he would come down from Queensland, hook it up and take it out of the Thunderdome. So I'm walking down uh, the, you know, pit, pits with, with the two Brocks and they're, you know, into me a bit uh, and, and feels like, well, so you never driven the car, you got no idea what's going on, you know, you don't know what setup you're running, you the whole thing, you've got no idea. And Brock's like, yeah, you got no idea. And I said... <clears throat> Well, I know one thing that's right. And and Brock goes, what's that? You know, he's drinking his tea. And I said, oh, I've got the right tie pressures. And and Pin looked across and went, oh, yeah? And how do you know that? I said, because I checked yours when it was on the trailer before we came out here. <laughs> Which made Brock nearly spray his tea all over the ground. Man, he laughed and laughed and laughed. Pin wasn't quite laughing as much as Peter. Funny that. Funny that. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so, so uh, that was a, you know. That was a good story. Do you know how to find the right oil for your car? Now you can find out quickly and easily online, thanks to Castrol's Rego to Oil tool. Simply type in your Rego, select your state, and within seconds you'll know the best Castrol products to unlock the edge of performance in your car. So what's your car best suited to? Just search Rego, the number two, and oil and find out. <laughs> was that intimidating to get your head around? Right? I mean, that place is completely different to anything you'd done before. Did it take you a little bit to get your head into the hole, got to kind of look through the corner and the way that the racing goes? Because you guys picked it up really quickly, like the strategies, the pit stuff. But did it intimidate you when you first bowled out? They're thinking, oh, uh, what am I doing I think here? the first row, I got sick of spinning. Uh, you know, I don't know. I'm not sure how many times I looped the thing around, but um, we went. we put a lot of hard work into that. You know, Kim and I, and we really hit our straps. We spent a lot of time there. We worked really, really hard. We did a lot of testing, but we didn't do anything that anyone else couldn't do. And and um, it met, met my eye. You know, I mm. I think looking back, 
um, it was something that that you know suited me and and um, whether it was the Oscar or the NASCAR or we were road racing them or oval track racing you know the half mile in Adelaide I wasn't as successful at but I think there's there's good reasons I was pretty fast over there as well so um, yeah I, 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 I it's just one of those things I think you know a lot, a lot of hard work by Kim and I and and it's something that that suited suited me for some reason. Well, it suited you enough that you won five Oscar championships in a row. But between and before you made the full time NASCAR jump, which you won that as well, but you'd had a go at NASCAR while you were in the Oscar. So didn't you go to the states and buy a car that was told to you that this thing? Because clearly, you boys thought, and we talked about this before with the money. So Oscar's paying pretty good money comparatively. But what pays more than Oscar? Oh, NASCAR. NASCAR. And, and so you've got to go get a NASCAR, didn't you? One hundred percent. And so I resisted it for a long time because of my GM association. I looked at running that Commodore that they built. You know, they built NASCAR, NASCAR version, Commodore. Yeah. And I didn't want to. You know, I, I was I, I, by that stage in my life, I worked out that it's not as simple as just jumping in anything and making it go fast. And so um, we um, uh, needed a good car. And so what happened was the year. Uh, the Americans came out every year at Christmas, but it paid a million dollars to the to the field. And so Bob had a um, uh, press release gathering um, at Hawthorne down by the river. There's a restaurant down there. Yep, no, well, yep. and um, he like had a, a function facility. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And there was a Perspex safe, mm. and it had a million dollars in cash, and two security guards. And if I remember correctly, I think they had shotguns. And so they're standing there and Kim and I are, are walking around Drooling. this safe and I'm like, you know what, we've got to get us some of that money. And so so uh, we decided then and there if we won the championship when we went to the States this time, we would we would buy a car. And so, so we saved all our money up and then we went to the States and um, Kim and I, or Kim especially had a friend, um, Billy Hess, who was a, um, he used to repair chassis out the back of, of BSR. He was a chassis repair guy. And so, so we enlisted him to help us buy a car. So we got something that would work both at the Thunderdome and as a road race car. Because the other part of this is they'd announced at that point that the Gold Coast event was going to be a NASCAR event. Um, and it paid $75,000 to win. Ooh, and so we sort of figured, I mean, it depends how many NASCAR stories you want, but we figured <laughs> that that that's a bit us. We could go up there, win that, and and um, but pay for the car effectively. So we we got every scraped every cent we could, borrowed money, you know, did every and and went to the states. Billy helped us buy a car, and we bought it from from the Purolator Racing Team, which Derek Cope was actually there. He'd won Daytona a couple of years earlier, and when we went there, um, he's like. Uh, Hey, so you two Aussie guys that are looking to buy in this car, I love this car. You know, it's like, oh, really? Yeah, yeah, it's a very good car. Um, you know, I'm a bit hesitant in wanting to sell it, but, uh, you know, um, we're going to build some new cars and so, you know. Aww. So I'm like, oh, really? And then so Billy came out and he said, what are we talking to him about? And I said, oh, he's telling us how much he doesn't want to sell his car. And he went, ha, he... Hates this car. He thinks it's a piece of shit. They take it to the races as a backup car so he doesn't wreck the number one. That's how much he doesn't like it. And I said, uh, so why are we buying it? He goes, nothing wrong with this car. Just needs a clip front cut off the front of it 
and we'll weld it where it's meant to be and everything will be fine. So I was like, oh, okay. So he and Kim looked around it and, you know, we went away and we went and looked at, you know, we were looking at these wrecks over at Carl Yarbrough's joint and they're under a peppercorn tree, like you make a movie. And, and they named all their cars after the Flintstones. And, but when you think about it, when you get after the main characters, uh, there's not there's not much more. So else you to know, go it's with. like Arnold, who was a paperboy, but all these <laughs> obscure names that they put on the dash of these cars. I'm like, who are these people? They're all off the Flintstones. So someone must watch the Flintstones to get the names. But a guy called Dick Trickle was driving from the time he used to wreck a car every race. So they had like 16 chassis just laying in the yard. But but we ended up buying the Pure Later car and we bought it out here and we painted black and Castrol sponsored it. And we did a deal with them. And then um, Wally Gator helped engineer it because it was too much work for Kim. And, um, man, we were fast in that car. Like it looked nasty and and we, we turned up in Queensland and it was really fast. But unfortunately we blew the engine. And um, and you don't get 75 grand for blowing the engine, which was yeah. the aim of the game. That's right. And so not in the race, we blew the engine in practice. And there was a guy that Charlie O'Brien was driving for. I can't think of his name, but he, he owned the Sunoco racing team. He's an American guy. And he looked like Colonel Sanders. You know, he had the little goatee and the silver and the cane. And anyway, he, we went over to him and said to him, um, Hey, you got an engine will fit in our car. Could we lease it? And he goes, Yeah, it'll be 10 grand. And so I said, Okay, get back to you in a minute. And I went to Kim and I said, 10 grand. We don't have 10 grand. We don't have a grand. Like, I'm not even sure how we're getting home. And so, so, um, <laughs> so I rang up. John Sorzak from Castrol and said to him, hey, well, we've blown up the engine. If we could get some help, um, the engines, uh, we can lease one. It's $20,000, but if you pay half, we'll pay the other half. And uh, <laughs> he said, I can't give you half, but I'll give you a quarter. So I'm like, all right. Which is really a half. Yeah, hmm. really <laughs> half. So he gave us five, which is really good of him. I mean, he was great uh, when he was at Castrol to me. And and then so we didn't have any amount of money, so I went to Bob Jane, or Kim and I went to Bob Jane and and said, look, you know, can you tell this guy we're good for the money and and guarantee it and, like, you know, we'll pay him after we win some prize money on Sunday. So... So the race starts, you know, I'm last and, and it's looking like it's going to rain and I'm on the radio to Kim. I think we had a CB radio in those days but I'm on the radio to Kim going, start the race because, you know, they do three laps to warm the – I don't know why they used to do that. And he goes, Kim's like, shut up. They're not listening to you. You're last. You're not at the front. They don't care what you think. It's going to rain. They don't care. Because you need laps to make positions to make money. Because we'd worked out that I had to get to 15th to get five grand to pay for the engine. And so, so like, I'm on. And there was a full grid. There was cars everywhere. And so um, um, we did the laps. And just as we came around to start the race, it started to spit. And, man, I'm off. So I'm trying to pass cars down one side, down the other, and that's when you went down the A&A hotel. I can remember passing people where they're braking and I'm grabbing another gear. And so the the rain flag came out of the chicane on the back of the pistol. We did half a lap and I got to 16th. And, and I remember I'm like, oh, I said to Kim, what position are we in? He goes, P16. I went, oh, we didn't make enough money. So they stopped the race and then the colonel came down to see us afterwards and said, you know, hey, you boys got our money, and I'm like, hey, listen, buddy, we did one lap, not even. So how about we pay you half? He goes, no, nah, it's 10 grand. So Bob paid the money and then took it out of our prize money. So, yeah. 
crazy, crazy life. But but NASCAR was very good to us. You know, we we were very successful with that. And you know, my my first season, I finished second at the first race. And then I was really looking forward to the Americans coming out. And you know, the interesting thing is, I was telling someone this story this week. I used to get booed so much there. So my last season of Oscar racing, you know, when you got thirty-five to forty thousand people and they're all booing you, yeah, it's it's you know, my dad came down at the last race. I was sitting on the back of our you know our Ute and and I'm sorry panel van, and I had the trophy sitting next to me, and my dad said, "Oh, you know, well done, son, great job." Uh, I just hate you know getting booed. I I know why they boo me. They boo me because I win. Mm. But honestly. I haven't done anything wrong. I'm not dirty. I don't – it's just, you know – It's the Australian thing, isn't it, though? Yeah. We, we like you when you start having a few wins and you're a battler and it yeah. goes well. Then you start winning a bit more and you yeah. go, oh, and then you go over the line because you win lots and then it's like, no. Well, and, no and, and and that was – and he's like, I didn't hear him boo you. And I went, where were you? <laughs> Certainly nowhere near here. I said, honestly, you, could hear, yeah, you could hear them in Melbourne. He's like, no, no, they, they won't boon your son. Good job. You know, I'm like, yeah, you're right. But when I turned up with the NASCAR and when the Americans turned up, they used to back you in against the wall. And, and honestly, I, I used to sit down the side of the car, try and get away from the people, you know, from throwing stuff and, you know. It got that bad. Oh, they're not anything heavy, but like cans <laughs> and shit. But, but well, they a, heavy, would, a heavy can is not what you want on the side of the head before but, you're about to go race. But they would, you know, they, they just it was very abusive. Yeah, and and so uh, I can remember they did their driver intro, and I'm like, oh, you know, here we I've go. got to do this. So yeah. do all Americans first, and then I, I then they did me, and honestly, it was the loudest cheer because you're now for us I, against them. Yeah, it really shocked me, and I said to Kim. What's going on? <laughs> that can't be right. And he goes, yeah, I think they like it this year. <laughs> I said, four months ago they didn't like me. He goes, yeah, but you're probably the guy they think can give these guys a run. I'm like, hmm. Um, and, and, but the, the racing, you know, the intensity I felt. So, so Morgan Shepard, who'd finished seventh in, the, seventh in the Winston Cup, he was my – we shared a garage together. And I remember he came in, little, he was a little guy, and he's like, yeah, how y'all doing? He goes, hey, I hear you're, uh, you're you're one of the guys to beat, and I said, oh yeah, well let's let's see. And so he's wandered around the car and marked off my rear wing off his hip and kicked his foot under the front splitter, to, you know, all the things to see how the car's set up. And he's got to the back of the car and he's seen the big yellow stripe across it. He's like looked at it, and he's looked at me, and he's looked at that, and he's walked over to me. And he goes, is this your car? And I went, yeah, it's my car. And he goes, um, are you a rookie? And I said, yeah, I am as a matter of fact. He goes, right, how many races have you done? I said, on the Oval, one. And he goes, oh, someone's obviously having a lend to me. And I said, yeah, well, let's see after P1, shall we? <laughs> and, uh, and but, you know, racing against Barry Graham and Max Dumsney and the Americans, you know, I, I really enjoyed that a lot. You know, being in a car with over 650 horsepower that, distort your face when it's on throttle and the banking and bumps. It was, you know, it, was, I, it still sends a tingle down my spine when I stop and think about it. Those things were something else. You talked before about the, the naming of cars. You named your NASCARs. There was a few of them. Was it Did you go Jetsons? Yeah, than, yeah. We so were, they did the Flintstones and yeah. you did the Jetsons. Yeah, I was a big Jetsons fan when I was a kid. And so we did that and then we bought, you know, um, 
Kim and I uh, were friends with Ray Everingham. We met him over there and I tried really hard to get him to put me in one of the um, Dick Johnson the red coat cars, cars, the Redcoat yeah. cars. And, you know, I stayed at his place for a while and slept on his couch trying to trying to coax him into giving me an opportunity and 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 um, anyway we ended up uh, being friends and so so um, when he was Hendrick we bought we bought Bubba which was one of Jeff Jeff's cars Got and, Jeff Gordon for those who don't yeah, know yeah and and ran that out here which was you know quite amazing that was the white Atlantis removals car that you won the championship with and then it was Kmart I think after that yeah, yeah. Yep, yep yep and we ended up with a few cars George uh, that was our two-seater car. <laughs> so, so you know, we had Elroy, which was our road race car, and, yeah, so we named we, – we, we, and it was a bit sad really in the end. I mean, we had all that hardware and, and uh, Dick Midgley came along and, and said he'd buy it all off us and, and uh, foolishly we allowed him to take it out of the country and he forgot to send the check. Still hasn't? Still hasn't. I used to ring him every Christmas. Dick, it's me. <laughs> Because apparently I've got an accent, and uh, <laughs> to and a Canadian you do. Yeah, but no, nothing was enough to convince him to. Even he was always lovely and friendly. We just, just forgot never, that part of the never transaction. Never paid the bill. Yeah, right. And that is part one of my chat with Brad Jones. On part two, we've got so much more to cover. We talk about his years with Audi in Super Touring and that amazing chance he got to drive the Le Mans prototype car at the race of a thousand years in Adelaide. He also tackles the National Motor Racing Museum couch racer questions that you sent in. There are some corkers and I've got to warn you, there's one or two that went into a couple of places that I didn't expect the answer to take us to. And he also answers the V8 Sleuth Top 10 shootout with some very interesting replies. Jump on our website, bookshop.v8sleuth.com.au. If you love Brad in Oscars, there's plenty of Oscars in our Racing the Lion Holden celebration book. There's a bunch of other stuff there to keep you interested over the course of the upcoming weeks and months before we roll out some of our new products for this year. Uh, we'll announce those in upcoming weeks and months. Don't forget the regular website, v8sleuth.com.au. Join our newsletter list so you get all the updates every week with the latest of products and also news and information and stories from our website. And if you don't follow us on socials, get on board Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. You will follow V8 Sleuth if you know what is good for you. No, actually, that sounded a bit full on. Follow it if you like, but I can guarantee you we do plenty of stuff and I reckon that you'll enjoy it. All right, that's part one done of Brad Jones on the V8 Sleuth podcast powered by Repco. Stay tuned for part two. Do you know how to find the right oil for your car? Now you can find out quickly and easily online, thanks to Castrol's Rego to Oil tool. Simply type in your Rego, select your state, and within seconds you'll know the best Castrol products to unlock the edge of performance in your car. So what's your car best suited to? Just search Rego, the number two, and oil, and find out.